Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word. And as we come before your word, Lord, we're like little kids. Sit down, Lord, before you, our great teacher, our instructor. Wait for you to teach us now, speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now Genesis 37. Genesis 37, here we go. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Because he was the son of his old age, they made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Literally, that reads, they could not say shalom to him. That's what it says. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood roundabout and made obeisance, or literally bowed, to my sheep. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance, or bowed, to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I'll send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. Okay, now. In our last study, you remember that we saw this great significance in verse 2. It was building us up as we came to this, building us up to expecting this great list of the generations of Jacob, and we were only stopped dead in our tracks when we saw that there's only one person on the list of the generations of Jacob. That's what makes verse 2 so important when it said, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. That's it. It's all about Joseph. The rest of the book of Genesis will be about Joseph, 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 that's it. You can't read and study Joseph, about Joseph, without seeing that Joseph's life is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. All you see in the life of Joseph is Jesus, 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 that's it. And the only way that you can really explain and really interpret the meaning that is written in this history 
why these things are pulled out in the history of Joseph is to see the Lord Jesus right alongside the history of Joseph. You've got to put the two histories side by side in order to understand. And you know what's absolutely amazing about this? Can you think of any scripture that directly says that Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you? Can you think of any scripture in the New Testament that says that Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, no, but Clinton's looking. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no. But, and that's what makes Joseph the hidden treasure of Scripture. Because he's a hidden treasure in the book of Genesis. Because if we dig, we will be rewarded by seeing our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just a hidden treasure, Joseph is, because nowhere in the Scripture is the direct statement that Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Except, and this is what you're looking for, Clinton, I know, except where Stephen speaks his last words. Weren't you thinking of that? That's it. Acts chapter 7. I knew Clinton was going to get it. So anyway, Acts chapter 7 is where Stephen says this. He refers to Joseph. It's the only place in the New Testament where Joseph is referred to. In Acts chapter 7, verse 9, when Stephen said as his last words before his execution, He said, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house, and then there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance, and when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out his our fathers first, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known to, to Pharaoh. Now, in this passage here, Stephen did not directly say that Joseph was like the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen just recounted certain key parts of Joseph's history where without saying it, Stephen was very directly implying For example, when Stephen said that Joseph's brothers were envious of Joseph, Stephen was implying, well, so were the rulers of Israel envious of the Lord Jesus. When Stephen said that Joseph was sold, Stephen was implying, well, so did Judas Iscariot sell the Lord Jesus. See, when Stephen said that Joseph was delivered to the Gentiles when he was sold in Egypt, Stephen was applying, well, so was the Lord Jesus delivered to the Romans. See, when Stephen said that God was with Joseph, Stephen was implying, well, God was with the Lord Jesus. When Stephen said that Joseph was made governor over all Egypt and Jacob's house, Stephen was implying that so God made the Lord Jesus to that every knee, both of Jew and Gentile, is going to bow to him. And when Stephen said that Joseph was revealed to Jacob's family, the second time they saw him, Stephen was implying, well, that's so the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed as God to all of Jacob's family, to all the Jewish people the second time, when he comes the second time. So all eyes now from the rest of the book of Genesis are on Joseph. And just the notion that Joseph is going to be exalted to this place where everyone's going to bow to him, which is what his dreams were saying, it was met with such a protest. I mean, Joseph's brethren who said, 
Joseph, we're going to bow down to our younger brother. We're going to bow down to the squirt. You know, Joseph, you've got to be kidding. You know, and just the idea that Joseph was going to have dominion over the family was met with such protest over Joseph's father, who said in verse 10, shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? No one could believe that the generations of Jacob all depended on Joseph, the second youngest in the family. But Joseph was God's choice. That was it. No one could see it. No one could believe it. But he was. He was God's choice. And that's exactly the way it was with David. No one could see it. No one could believe it, especially Samuel, who was sent to, to anoint uh, King David. But all Samuel knew was that God's choice was one of the sons of Jesse, didn't know which one, and he kept getting it wrong in 1 Samuel 16.6. 1 Samuel 16.6, when it says there, going through this selection process, it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, said to Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse called Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, you can see the frustration. And Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, well, there remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. This is he. And we could just picture Samuel saying with each of the sons, oh, we got him now. Surely this is the one the Lord has chosen. Look at him. He's tall. He's big. He looks presidential. (laughs) He's the one, right, Lord? And then each time the Lord said to Samuel, No, he's not the right one. And the problem is that you're looking on the outward appearance and you're looking on his face and you're looking how tall he is and you're not looking what I'm looking at. I'm looking at his heart. I'm looking at the heart. And finally, when the youngest of the family, David, was called, the Lord said, he's the one I've chosen. He's the one I've chosen. I have looked on his heart and he has a heart that loves me and will follow me. He's the one that I've chosen. And we can hear everyone in Jesse's family saying, what? He's just a kid. All he does is take care of sheep. He can't be the one. And so, as a matter of fact, you know, remember the family would say, no, he can't be the one, you know. That's what Goliath said. That's what Goliath said. When he first saw David in 1 Samuel 17, 42, it says, when the Philistine, speaking of Goliath, looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. That's exactly the way it was with Joseph. Joseph was the second youngest of the 12 brothers, and he was really looked down on. But God looked at the heart of Joseph, 
And when God looked to the heart of Joseph, he said, that's my man. And we're going to see what God saw in the heart of Joseph as the life of Joseph is going to just blossom out before us. We're going to see the heart of Joseph. And when we're going to see the heart of Joseph, we're going to say, now I understand why God chose him. Now I understand why God chose him because of his heart. Now, and everybody else, you know, is saying, okay, let me get this straight. Just, just so I make sure who we're talking about. We're talking about a person who was the second to the youngest among 12 brothers. We're talking about a boy whose mother was dead. We're, we're talking about a boy who's given the lowest job, like taking care of sheep and running errands. And he's the one that Jacob and his family are all going to bow down to. Yeah. He's the one who's going to save Jacob's family from extinction. I mean, he's the one who's so important for the survival of Jacob's family that he alone represents the generations of Jacob. I mean, I, I, mean, I just got to make sure I got all this straight because the answer is yes. Joseph is the one. His name means he shall add. And he added all right. He added the survival of the family of Jacob. That's exactly the way it was with the Lord Jesus Christ. His birth, you know, you look at his birth, of the Lord Jesus, it was just a scene of a great problem and confusion. You know, it was like, oh no, Mary's gonna deliver right now. There's no place for her to give birth. Oh no, there's no vacancy in the inn. Oh no, there's no room in the inn. You know, we gotta use a barn. Oh no, there's not even a baby cradle. We gotta use an animal feeding trough. And then the Lord Jesus is brought up, not in Jerusalem, the great place, but in a slum town of Nazareth with no reputation. Everybody says, nothing good can come out of that place. And then the father of the Lord Jesus, he's not a ruler. He's not even a Levite. You know, he's not a temple ruler. He's just a carpenter. And then his style is not this outward grandeur, but he's meek, he's lowly. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, come unto me all you that labor and heavy labor, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn to me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. He'd say, meek? Lowly in heart. I mean, let me get this straight. Just so I make sure that, we're, that, that I know we're talking, who we're talking about. We're talking about a person who was born in a barn, a person whose first bed was an animal feeding trough, a person whose father was just a common carpenter, a person who grew up in a slum town of Nazareth, and a person who was meek and lowly in heart. He's going to defeat Satan. He's going to free all mankind from the chains of sin. He's going to stop the destiny of hell for all mankind. He's so critical to the survival of man that he can be called the generations of man. He can be called the second Adam. And the answer is yes, yes. And for these reasons, Jesus is our Joseph. Jesus is our Joseph because just as the meaning of Joseph is he shall add, Jesus is the one who adds salvation to us. He adds salvation. He adds eternal life to everyone who receives him as their Lord and Savior. That's why we can look at verse 2 and apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, these are the generations of mankind, Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no man with eternal life in, in heaven. Without Jesus, there's no one who lives forever in heaven. Without Joseph, there's no continuation of Jacob. Now, our focus is on Joseph. And what we see first about Joseph in verse 2, Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren. That shows us something. 
it shows that Joseph was a worker. You know, he was the favorite of his father, but his father didn't make him a lush, right? His father didn't make him a sit around and do nothing. He didn't take advantage of his position to not work. He didn't take advantage of his favorite position to not work. His father taught Joseph how to work at an early age. You know, that's what I always tell our boys. In fact, I named one of them Joseph. Our three boys were raised on, on a goat ranch. That was their heritage. <laughs> 300 goats we had, and they had to be fed twice a day and cared for. And I told our boys, I said, you know, the Lord knew we had a lot of work to do here. That's why he didn't give us any daughters. <laughs> we needed three boys to go out there and haul those 120-pound bales of hay. Anyway, we're told in verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Milhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. All right. Joseph brings to his father their evil report. Now, when you read those words, read those words in verse 2. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. When you read that, what's the first question that comes to your mind? Yeah, what were they doing? <laughs> That's it. What were they doing, right? What was that evil report? What were they doing anyway? And you know what's so conspicuous by its absence? We're not told. We're not told what the evil report was. Why not? Seems, you know, because God doesn't want us to know. That's the answer. You know, when Noah got drunk and was naked in his tent, and there was something shameful going on, and one of his sons, Ham, he looked and he came out and told his brother, Shem and Japheth, and I'm sure he told us, you won't believe what I saw. Oh, dad is in the tent naked. Oh, you, you, you got to go see this. But what we read is something beautiful in Genesis 9, 22, when it says, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, went in backwards. Oh, beautiful and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not the father's nakedness. What was going on when Noah was drunk and naked? And we're not told, because God says, none of your business, and I don't want it to be your business. And so I don't want you to know. And God doesn't want us to know details of evil, because it will defile us. Because he knows our hearts. Really? That's us. Right? And God wants to cut it off. That's what makes watching the news so defiling. You turn on the news because the news gives all these details. And God says, I, you don't need the details. I don't want you to have the details. It was wrong. It was evil. You know, what did he say? He said, who is so blind as my servant? Speaking of the Lord Jesus. I don't, know the details. I don't want to know the details. The details in the news, what was happening in Noah's tent, the details of this evil report, God says, no. Because in Ephesians 5.12, it says, it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Don't talk about them. And in Ephesians 5.3, it says, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. Don't even name it. Don't talk about it. So what we know from verse 2 is that when Jacob's sons were far from Jacob's eyes, they got involved in some sort of evil. 
and they, this, they gave in to whatever this temptation was. All right, so this is gonna be, this kind of sets the stage for what the rest of the chapter is about, the evil report. And so you want to break down of the chapter, it goes like this. Verses one through 11, it shows the reasons why Joseph's brothers hated Joseph, and it also shows this special relationship between Joseph and his father, and anyways, and talks about the dreams. Okay, verses 12 through 20 shows the brothers' opportunity and their plot to murder Joseph. Verses 21 through 27 shows the efforts of Reuben and Judah to rescue Joseph. Verses 28 through 32 show the cover-up story that the brothers had fabricated and they told uh, Joseph's father. And then finally, in verses 33 through 36, shows Jacob's deep grief and his sorrow over the apparent loss of Joseph. Now, you look at that? What's that mean for this chapter? This is a chapter of great darkness. This is another one of those chapters of great darkness in Jacob's family. This is a chapter of a conspiracy to kill Joseph. This is a chapter of brothers secretly planning a scheme to murder their brother. And since the future of Jacob's house is tied up in Joseph, that would have meant that the death of Joseph would have meant the destruction of Jacob's house. And so this is a chapter of great darkness. And it's in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this very dark chapter here, very dark history in Jacob's family. In the middle of this dark chapter, we have this sterling character of Joseph. I mean, it's like right in the middle of all this darkness, there's this great light, which is Joseph. Joseph is like a light shining in the darkness, which is just like what is written about the Lord Jesus. In John 1.5, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended that not. The darkness could not get their arms around the carton. The darkness could not extinguish it. Joseph was the light. The brothers were the darkness. The brothers tried to kill Joseph. The darkness tried to extinguish the light, but the darkness was not able to kill the light. The darkness was not able to kill Joseph. And this is the way it was with the Lord Jesus. He came into this great darkness, as it says in Isaiah 9-2. Isaiah 9-2, same chapter that talks about him. As for unto us a child is born, a little bit before that, verse two says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined, upon them. Now, what we really wanna see here in Joseph is the kind of person that Joseph was, because this is what's important. When we look at verse two, there is a statement that is made three times there's a statement that's made three times for emphasis. And whenever God does this, he's trying to emphasize something, right? Because he wants us to focus on this. What's emphasized three times in verse two? I'll give you a hint. First time it says, with his brethren. Uh, 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor in the service on Facebook Live through the Friendship with God Facebook page. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back. So join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.